Hello, we ghosties. I'm Chance Lee. And I'm Amanda McAvoy. And this is That's So Gothic, a movie podcast about girls, guys, and haunted houses. Today, we're sitting down to a casual chat with Brad Pitt about being a bloodsucker. No, it's not the latest news in his court drama with Angelina Jolie. <laughs> we are talking about Interview with the Vampire. me to tell you the story of my life i'll tell you my story i'll tell you all of it i'm flesh and blood but not human i haven't been human for 200 years from the novel by anne rice from neil jordan the director of the crying game i've come to answer your prayers life has no meaning anymore does it his name is Lestat. What if I could give it back to you? Pluck out the pain and give you another life. One you could never imagine. I can see you lying on a bed of satin. He chose one man. He gave him infinite power. Eternal life. And a daughter who would be forever young. This is the only real evil left. And then he took the light of day. You're a vampire who never knew what life was until it ran out in a red gush over your lips. I can't stand this any longer. You made us what we are, didn't you? God kills indiscriminately. And so shall we. You like dying? You condemn me to hell! Monster. Unhappy Emily. He turned we end her suffering and yours. But do not doubt. You are a killer. I want some more. Released in 1994, Interview with the Vampire was directed by Neil Jordan who had done The Crying Game. Mm -hmm. It stars Brad Pitt as Louis de Pointe-du-Lac, Tom Cruise as Lestat de Lioncourt, <laughs> Kirsten Dunst as Claudia. Yep. No, no last name given. <laughs> and Antonio Banderas as Armand. Mm -hmm. My notes, when I take notes on my phone, uh, correct that to armband. <laughs> So a good old armband. Yeah, I wonder um, if that's symbolic. Symbolic of something. <laughs> um, the movie also features a very young Tandaway Newton. Um, she would have been about 20 or 21 during the filming right. of this. Yeah. And and Christian Slater as yes. the interviewer. Mm -hmm. At the very end of the movie, in the credits, it says, In Memory of River Phoenix. Yes. And it looks like he was supposed to play the Slater character. Yes. Yeah, I saw that. And I think um, Christian Slater ended up donating a lot of his, um, uh, what's the word, salary. I can't remember to what, but in honor of him. Oh, wow. That's really nice. Yeah. Because yeah, I think he died of a drug overdose, I believe, around this I time. I believe so. 
Yeah. And yeah. he was very, very popular at the time. And is, right. uh, of course, Joaquin Phoenix's brother. Yes. So. Yeah. So this movie currently has a 64% critical tomato, um, which yeah. is less than I expected. Yeah. But an 86% audience tomato. Wow. So audiences love it. And Ebert gave it three stars. All right. He... He says it's a film about what it might really like be like to be a vampire. Hmm. And he says the movie never makes vampirism look like anything but endless sadness. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which is something that got tiring that. with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but fits into the, if not gothic, fits into the goth themes yes. that we'll oh, talk yeah. about. Um, but he also says, "My he, he, this is Ebert, he says, my complaint about the film is that not very much happens in the plot sense. The movie is more about the history and reality of vampirism than about specific events. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah. it is more of a character study and yeah. this lore building. Because mm -hmm. one common element with vampire fiction is what bits of Dracula established lore will you pick and choose for your vampires. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> there's the typical, like, we don't like sunlight and we drink blood mm -hmm. and we sleep in a coffin and different novels, different creators play with yep. those in different ways. Like, yeah. you think of Twilight, they can go out in the sun, but they sparkle. That was a they big spark deal. Right. They sparkle. Yeah. And here, um, I think... It kind of adheres to a lot of those, except he does, he can, there's crucifixes and garlic involved and those don't bother them in this one. Yeah. 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 I think it does apply, you know, most of the vampire rules. Um, mm -hmm. Don't like sunlight. Did they do anything with a mirror? I love that trope. How the vampires I, don't have reflections. I think they do. I think Tom Cruise picks up something and waves it in front of the mirror and there's yeah. no reflection. I think maybe Claudia too or something. I have a yeah. big memory of that looks in a mirror. That, yes. Yeah. I love that trope. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie was very successful. It had a budget of $60 million and it grossed more than $220 million worldwide. Wow. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. How much of that budget do you think was spent on French tip press on nails? <laughs> I mean, it has to be at least a million. At least a million. <laughs> there, there is a credit in the credits for vampire nails. Stop it, really? Yes. That's incredible. And shout out to Julie Woods who was the vampire nails manicurist. Uh, I looked up, I looked up her IMDB. She was also the manicurist on Showgirls. Oh, wow. <laughs> so what great cool trajectory career. for her. Yeah. Yes, I love that. <laughs> that is so good. Yeah. So that was a little fun fact. Um, so what are your thoughts before we get into it on this movie? Had you seen it before? Yeah, I had. And I actually... So I used to love this movie. I used to, I like, I, I feel like there was a point in my life where if you asked me what one of my favorite movies was, I would actually say this movie, but there are just like huge chunks of it that I feel like I don't remember. Like I definitely remember the beginning and the end. So I've definitely seen the whole thing at some point, but when Antonio Banderas came up, like in the scroll at the beginning, I was like, he's in this movie. His whole section 
I do not remember whatsoever. Like I need someone to tell me like, did they used to play this on like IFC or something and like cut that whole section out? Because I literally was so flabbergasted. So it was almost like watching it for the first time. I was like, what the heck is going on? I, I never either like didn't remember or never realized, like never thought about it, like why Claudia had died, you know, spoilers, but I don't remember ever seeing that scene. Just so many parts of it that I completely forgot about. Oh, wow. Yeah. I feel like I internalized a lot of it. If you had asked me to tell you what happened in this movie, I would not remember. But as I was watching it, it was like all flooding back to me. And I was like, because this movie, so this, I, this was one of the first R rated movies. I feel like I really watched Mm -hmm. as a kid um, and found that interesting because it was so violent compared to compared to I think compared to general movies at the time I think that was a big deal for a movie this popular and this big of budget and not like a traditional horror movie it's very violent and very graphic yes Um, and as a kid I found that really intriguing like it grossed me out but I didn't want to turn away yeah yeah and then, and also though, t- thinking about the Antonio Banderas parts, those are the parts where the movie does escalate and become more sexually weird, more yes. violent. So it is likely they could have just been editing a lot of those parts out right. on TV. Yeah. I think I have a bad problem too, where I consider, I think about movies that I loved when I was younger and I probably saw them on airplanes. That is what mm. I think happened because I had the same thing happen with Chicago because that movie came out. I know this is like off topic, but that movie came out when I was like 10 or 11. And I remember the first time I saw it was on an airplane, like right around when it came out. And, you know, that was back in the day when everyone had to watch the same movie. And so when I was like 11 years old, I would tell people that Chicago was my favorite movie and they would be <laughs> horrified. <laughs> But it was like, because I saw this like cut down PG version. So I'm wondering if the same thing happened with Interview with a Vampire, even though I'm pretty sure I've seen it multiple times. So I don't know. I, I think someone cut out parts of it. It was on like USA or TNT yeah. a lot back in the day. And I feel like I watched it. I watched this movie a lot, I think, as a kid, because I think at some mm-hmm. point, at some point, my mom started dating our next door neighbor, and um, he had a very broad and deep VHS collection. Yeah. And he would let me borrow a lot of his tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Interview with a Vampire was one that I would revisit because I had started reading the book also when I was in oh. high school. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you had read the books because um, there's multiple, right? So, yes. Yeah, so Anne Rice, who died last year, she wrote n- numerous books, like lots of books, and 14 yeah. of them were in the Vampire Chronicles. Ah, uh, okay. So I read one, and that's this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, the, so this, I actually, and I reread this book maybe about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I really enjoyed it. It's a great, just like popular fiction fun, melodramatic, yeah. overwritten, uh, right. ridiculous book that you can just kind of sink into. Right. Uh, and and then the second one is different because it's this one. So this story is more like almost like historical fiction too. There's a lot of yeah. stuff in this antebellum South and 
early 19th century Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the second one is called The Vampire Lestat. And it takes place in the 80s, which I think is when the book was written. So it's contemporary. Oh. And he's a rock star. And I oh. just could not be bothered to care, even yeah. as a 16-year-old. Right. Well, and because the Queen of the Damned is like part of this too, right? Yeah. So that's the, as far as I know, the only other movie they made. Uh, yeah. And that's the third book. Okay. Okay. And that one has a completely different cast and it had Aaliyah in yeah. it. Yes. So it has that, that allure surrounding yes. it. Yes. So this movie, I think was the start of a, big vampire renaissance Mm. because from the mid nineties to the mid two thousands, we could not get away from vampires in popular culture. So in 1992, we had both Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula Mm -hmm. and the Buffy, the vampire slayer movie. Ah, okay. Two opposite sides of the spectrum. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But then this one was such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up having Buffy being rebooted as a show in 1997. Mm-hmm. The Charlene Harris books that would become True Blood, they were published in 2001. Yep. And that was a show in 08. Vampire Diaries was a show in 09. Mm-hmm. There was just always some sort of vampire content yes. on the TV or movies then. And there's a show now. Yes. Yeah. There's a new show. Have you seen any of it? I have not. No, no, not even a little bit. I didn't (laughs) know that it existed until um, like, you know, looking up some stuff for for this movie. I had no (laughs) idea. Yeah, they've really got that SEO down. Every time I search for interview with a vampire, it's just the TV show. That's all I get. Seems good. I don't care. I learned from watching this movie. I could not care less about these characters. So I will never watch it, but it seems like they're doing really interesting things. They're making the vampires explicitly gay slash bisexual. Oh, Um, okay. Yeah. And they, Louis is now a black character, which allows them to address race in a more complex and interesting way than Mm -hmm. this story does where all the black people are just slaves. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So it's nice that they're updating that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So this movie, um, also, I think more importantly, though, than vampires is that this movie, like, launched four separate Hollywood careers. Mm. So oh, yeah. Tom Cruise was was popular at this point, but mm-hmm. hadn't done any of the stuff we know him for now, like Mission Impossible, Jerry Maguire, being a Scientologist. <laughs> like that, hadn't, <laughs> that, He hadn't been scrutinized for that yet. He was still just that cute guy in popular yeah. movies. Right. Um, so he had done The Firm before mm-hmm. this and Days of Thunder uh, mm. and, and Top Gun, of course. Those were yeah. his big movies. And we'll get to it in a bit, but Anne Rice absolutely hated him and did yes. not want him to play this part. Yeah. Brad Pitt had done Thelma and Louise for mm-hmm. 10 minutes, the 10 minutes he's in that. <laughs> and the fly fishing movie, A River Runs Through It. Oh, <laughs> Yes. I know that my uh, my parents have a big poster of that in their uh, in their White Mountains home. Oh my god, I love that! <laughs> I remember seeing seeing that movie and being bored out of my mind because you know my yeah. mother took we all went to see a river runs through it. Yeah. But she loved Brad Pitt as many uh, 
many uh, man-loving individuals did in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. Loved Brad Pitt. So That's this so was good. his big breakout role. I mean, this was his... Uh, huge he seven would come after this mm. and then that's you know his career would take off later yeah and in 1994 kirsten dunst was in this and little yep. women wow big year for her huge year for her she's very young i forgot to look up how old she is but she's got to be like i don't 13 14 at the yeah. oldest yeah she's very young She's very young. She's fantastic in this movie. She's so good. I think they might have aged up the character too, which is kind of concerning. Yes, I think she's like six or something, yeah. like something really young in the novel. Yeah. Um, and she would do Jumanji the year after that in 1995. Oh. And then Antonio Banderas had mostly been in Spanish language movies up until this point. Oh, really? So, yeah, his big ones in the 90s were Desperado and Evita mm -hmm. and Mask of Zorro. And those were all after this movie. Oh, wow. So four big Hollywood stars came out of this. Yeah. Well, thank God this for this better. movie. <laughs> yeah, they're all still acting today. Yeah, we wouldn't have uh, Puss in Boots if it wasn't for this movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a tragedy that would be. You're right. <laughs> Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> That's probably my favorite Antonio Banderas character. It's really good. It's really good. I Shrek see. 2, best Shrek movie. Oh, it really is. Can we find a way <laughs> to talk about that on this podcast? We'll find a way. There's got to be. That fairy godmother is kind of nasty, so yeah. we could find some gothic elements to her. You know, there's the castle that they're, you know, mm -hmm. they have to go to. All right, mm -hmm. cool. Let's do it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Got to find a way to talk about how I kind of find human Shrek hot. Oh, so, I'm the gotta... exact opposite. I would rather get older <laughs> Shrek. <laughs> That'll be our big debate. Yeah. So before we get into our plot summary, uh, I fell down this huge rabbit hole about the production of this film, mostly involving how difficult Anne Rice was. May she rest in peace. She died last year. <laughs> <laughs> so have you had you have you read any Anne Rice novels at all? No, not a one. Okay. I, I've read Interview with the Vampire and that's it. But yeah. I have had a I have a good friend who had read many of them. And so I mm. kind of was involved in this Anne Rice fandom by proxy. Yes. And it's scary. I do not like the Anne Rice fans. They scare mm. me. There's a very cult-like relationship mm. with her and her fans where she's this almost godlike figure that they worship and yeah <laughs> do what she says she has a a code about a there's you know like a, the bay hive for beyonce fans and things <laughs> yes. like that she calls her people the people of the page Ooh, i was hoping it was going to be rice aronis Rice I think one thing about Anne Rice is I don't know if she had a sense of humor. Oh. So, I don't know if she had a sense of humor. Um, and I have not seen evidence of that anyway in yeah. all my research. That would have been fantastic. Um, so since she's died, her son, Christopher Rice, mm -hmm. who has written books and I feel like is a big beneficiary of literary nepotism, is managing her Facebook page, okay. which I think is called Anne Rice Fan Page. Of course. And she used to do it. She was very big on actually typing out messages to her fans. Wow. If you go to the Anne Rice website, 
like I think it's AnneRice.com. Uh-huh. It has not been updated in God knows how long. So oh. it's as if she's still alive and I is still posting that. messages to her fans, blog posts to her fans. Oh. And she was very also controlling of her properties. She was very anti-fan fiction. Oh, okay. Which is a big thing people knew about her. She hated people doing anything with her characters and was very protective of them. Interesting. So I read an article today on Kotaku.com of all places, but about how there's an app associated with the new interview with the vampire TV show Mm -hmm. that encourages people to create stories with those characters. (gasps) I love that. And I'm like, Anne Rice is spinning in her grave <laughs> thinking about oh. this. Oh, my God. Anne Rice is powering the, the city of New Orleans right now with how much she's spinning <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, the Anne Rice turbine is at work. <laughs> the angrier we make her, the longer we can keep the lights on. This is our new renewable energy source, <laughs> pissing, pissing off the corpse of Anne Rice. <laughs> uh, oh, so I want I want to dip a little bit into the production of Interview with the Vampire. Mm-hmm. So to set the scene, I am going to read from an article in Esquire magazine from 1994. This is, and this is, so Anne Rice is showing up at a book signing. She has Mm -hmm. just published one of her vampire books. I think it's called Lasher, one of the ones that only huge Anne Rice fans have read. Yes. Gathered outside the bookstore, nearly a thousand sodden groupies outfitted in galoshes and garbage bags, brandishing umbrellas and protest signs were reciting the same litany at the top of their lungs. No Tom Cruise. No Tom Cruise. No Tom Cruise. As Anne stepped out of the car, a young man handed her a petition with hundreds of signatures calling for a boycott of the movie version of Interview with the Vampire, which stars Cruise as Rice's most infamous ghoul, the vampire Lestat. Those unfamiliar with Rice's work may justifiably wonder why her public appearances call forth mobs of frenzied hipsters and punks sporting black leather, mohawks, tattoos, and nose rings. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Those who do tip into the Ricean prose which is of a style that can only be described as haute purple, may also wonder what all the fuss is about. But cults take many forms, and Rice's followers feel that they own the vampire Lestat, no matter who paid for the film rights. Wow. So the interesting thing is that Anne Rice says she... And I'm going to get into the things she did to like harass Tom Cruise and like try to get people to hate him. And she took no credit for it. She blamed it, blamed it all on her father followers. Mm-hmm. She said that these people stand in line for her for hours. They're her readers and they hate it. They hate it. So therefore she's speaking up for them. She didn't oh, start God. it. Wow. She's such a patron of the people. She is the people of the page. Yeah. Yeah. So she has very cult-like leader characteristics, yeah. this charismatic leader who's trying to 
get the followers to do things, say it's not really her responsibility. She's speaking for someone else. Right. I love cults, so I find Anne Rice fascinating from that perspective. Same. Yeah, I'm getting big uh, uh, Manson vibes. <laughs> yeah, And then kill them. <laughs> Thank God I no one kill killed them. Tom Cruise because of oh this. Oh my God, I know, right? And she, that well, now that she's dead and her son is continuing the fan page, I'll be curious to see what her legacy looks like mm. um, from in, in cults. Like, so most cults often die out when the leader dies. Right. And one of the differentiating characteristics between a cult and a religion is that it continues when yeah. the charismatic leader dies. So I, I don't know. I honestly, I give the Anne Rice estate like 20 years and then we won't yeah. have heard of her again. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, I feel like we barely hear about her anymore. So, you know, if this, I think it's already... if this show, yeah, if this show wasn't happening, I, right. Yeah. And I think this was in the works before she died. So it's kind of oh, like okay. our last, I did, I do think she had some hands in this. Oh, interesting. Um, but so she used to say things uh, about Tom Cruise all the time that he was too short, his voice yep. was too high, he could not play Lestat. And, the producer of Interview with the Vampire, David Geffen, mm -hmm. does not mince words when talking about Anne Rice. There are many good quotes from him in this article. <laughs> he says, Anne is a difficult woman at best, and what her motives are remains somewhat beyond me. But for her to attack this movie for her own self-importance, when she has been paid $2 million in rights and stands to make a lot more money selling her books is capricious. It lacks kindness, it lacks discretion, and it lacks professionalism. Oh my God. I'm using that last line in like every email. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I had someone today, I they emailed me a question. I responded and said, you know, um, I signed my name, Amanda, and then they responded and said, thank you so much, Andrea. And so now I really want to respond to that email with that line. It lacks kindness. <laughs> kindness? Let's see. It lacks kindness. It lacks discretion and it lacks professionalism. It lacks professionalism. I'm going to send them <laughs> that line. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love that. That's so good. Yeah. Um, he goes on talking about her because she... I, I'm going to get into a little bit more about the production and how many script revisions they went through. Mm -hmm. She also wrote the screenplay for this. Oh, um, wow. And it took a long time to get a screenplay that was workable. Yeah. And oh. she, she blamed a lot of stuff on, on Tom Cruise. Yeah. Uh, David Geffen says that he didn't have any input into the script whatsoever. And she's not about anything but her self-importance. He says that a lot. She's hurting people. She's nasty and gratuitous and her comments are uncalled for. <laughs> wow. So there's a lot about that. And so this, so this book was published in 1975 and Anne Rice's own daughter had died at five mm -hmm. years old of leukemia. So the story was her way of processing this grief. So mm -hmm. Louie is kind of her, um, avatar yeah and claudia who's five in the book yeah. is the reincarnation of her lost child oh, okay so for a while Anne thought that this should be a broadway musical <laughs> okay i'm game <laughs> <laughs> 
Which maybe that's the next step. If Wicked can be a musical, yeah. Why not interview with the vampire? Honestly, I'm surprised they haven't yet. I mean, Heather's is another Christian Slater movie. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So I'm going to give you um, some casting what ifs mm-hmm. for who could have played um, Lestat and or Louis. Okay. I'm just going to throw some names out there. All okay. Right? Daniel Day-Lewis. Always, always, always on the list. Um, His name comes up a lot uh, lately on this podcast. Um, I, I don't see him in this. So let me just start by saying, I have, you know, I haven't read the books. I already said that. And I don't really have a lot of opinions on the characters. So I guess it would be hard for me to think of anyone else in the, in the roles, but I'm going to, I'm going to give, you know, DDL uh, an X nay. Okay. Yeah. Again, I, so he was theoretically, uh, hypothetically offered this part and mm. took six months to turn them down. Wow. So Sweet. that stalled the production a bit. Good for him. John Malkovich. Ooh, what as Lestat? <laughs> um, no, I'm good. <laughs> that was one of Anne Rice's top choices. Really? Oh my goodness. And for for Louie, mm-hmm. share. <gasps> yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Yes. <laughs> so in one of her script drafts, because they thought that maybe producers were a little wary of homo the homoeroticism in the uh-huh. story, she changed Louie into a woman and developed a treatment that she wanted Cher to play. (gasps) Okay, so here's what I was thinking. When you said for Louie, you know, the wheels are turning in my brain. And the reason why I love Brad Pitt in this role is because I love it when I see hot people sad. It's like my favorite Mm. genre. I love seeing miserable hot people. Um, So I was like, who would do a better job at that than Brad Pitt? I don't know that I've ever seen Cher sad. Um, so I would be very interested. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> Has Cher ever been sad? I want to see her sad. I want to see that too. To be fair, the only thing I've ever seen her in was Mermaids, you know, forever ago. Mm. Um, and Mamma Mia. And I don't think she was sad in either of those. No, and I don't think she's, I've seen Moonstruck and a few others. And mm. if she's sad, it's more drama sad than deeply yeah. brooding vampiric sadness. Yeah. I want to see Cher dealing with crippling depress- depression. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And a thirst for blood. Yeah. That's all I really want now out of life. <laughs> Anne also thought that uh, good fits for this female Louis, maybe she'd call her Louise, I don't know, mm. um, would be Meryl Streep or Angelica Houston. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if I knew Cher was on the table, I'm sorry, Mel, uh, you know, Meryl Streep, I know you're one of the best actresses of our time. Get the F out. We got Cher Get out, Meryl. In. Yeah. Yeah. Cher can run circles around Meryl Streep. <laughs> So Anne Rice, clearly of sound mind and judgment. <laughs> and so, you know, by the time they finally get a script off the ground, she is complaining about everything. Um, she complains about 
she thinks Tom Cruise is homophobic and is taking gay elements out of the script. And the director is saying, that's ridiculous. The director made the crying game, which is its own thing, but still for the time was pretty progressive. Yeah. And he says all the changes were made by him, the director, because that is his job. And he also points out in the book, the vampires do not have sex. There's yeah. no sex to cut. It's all ambiguous and you just read into it. Right. And frankly, for a movie made in 1994 with who would be huge stars, I was surprised how homoerotic this movie was. Oh, yeah. They definitely act like two dads. They are big dad energy. <laughs> big gay dad energy. <laughs> yeah. And I loved it. I yeah. loved it. Yes. So eventually Anne Rice did come to love Tom Cruise's performance. Mm -hmm. So who knows what the fuck was going on with her. <laughs> she's, just <But> <laughs> she's, she's, she's a cranky old bat. So um, she didn't like, uh, was he a Scientologist at this point? I think he's, I think he's almost always been. I yeah. think so. So maybe she didn't like, you know, a group crazier than her fans. <gasps> so maybe she was picking up on that, like a yeah. rival charismatic leader. Yeah. So she really wanted to nip that in the butt. She was going to be the new L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wrote science fiction. Yes. She yeah. Was I mean, to come yeah. up the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Who knows? It. Maybe, maybe Anne Rice will be a religion someday. Hmm. Okay. The Rice Aronis. The Rice Aronis. <laughs> yeah. The, the Pastafarians and the Rice Aronis. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get into the plot summary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or I'll be here all night. Um, we got to end this before the sun comes up and we vaporize. So, <laughs> so we open this movie in San Francisco. Gay, right off the bat. <laughs> we, we've got the Golden Gate Bridge. Yep. And Brad Pitt has, for, for some reason, like, picked up Christian Slater. So oh, yeah. there's all this gay energy right off, right from the jump. Mm -hmm. And Christian Slater wants to, he seems to have this kink where he picks up guys and records their stories, <laughs> which I find really fascinating. <laughs> I honestly, like, I get it. Like I just bought a seven news uh, windbreaker from Savers and I'm so tempted to just go around and interview people. <gasps> so I get it. I get the desire. I I want an alternate universe where instead of Vampire Chronicles, Anne Rice just followed this guy in San Francisco as he interviewed random people who may or may not have been supernatural beings. Yeah, that's fun. I like that. That would have been yeah. a great thing. Yeah. That would have been fun. We could, Christian Slater's still around. It could be a series. He could re <gasps> reprise the same character. That'd be so much fun. It'd be great. So he finds out that Brad Pitt, who's like kind of hot and kind of creepy because he's all pale yeah. and veiny, yeah. um, is a vampire. He says he hasn't been human for 200 years. Ooh. So we flash back to 1791 to this plantation that's south, south of New Orleans. Um, Brad Pitt's character to Louie, his wife and child are dead and he wishes he was dead. Mm-hmm. And he's gonna wish he was dead for this whole goddamn movie. <laughs> so you're sad, you're sad hot people. You're getting that in space. Yes. <laughs> so he's stalked and bitten by Tom Cruise, who is another vampire named Lestat. 
They also fly. They fly up into the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very homoerotic. Yes. And I completely forgot that the flying happened. Yeah. Yep. Um, but it is, it's very kind of romantic and violent. Mm, yeah. Um, even though Tom Cruise early on has this like big blonde Melanie Griffith hair that I just, <laughs> I could not, I could not deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it much better when he pulled it back in a little ponytail. It looked really good. Yeah. I'm not into long haired men Yeah. for the most part. So right. I had a, I trouble with the long hair. All the men have long hair in this movie. Oh yeah. I wonder, oh, cause, um, sorry to jump ahead, but like if they cut their hair, I think it grows right back. So. <gasps> oh, you're right. They, they, they can't, can't even, even get a buzz cut, it. buzz cut if they don't want to. Yeah. Give them a haircut before turning Seriously. them into a vampire. Right. And then they can wear wigs if they want to. Wigs were very common at that time for men. Exactly. So. We get the scene of Louis, Lou, excuse me, Lestat turning Louis into a vampire. Mm-hmm. So Lestat has to drain Louis's blood and then feed Louis his own blood. Mm-hmm. And there are these cool heartbeat sound effects as that's happening. And Louis wakes up and he has his little vampire eyes. He's all vampire now. <laughs> so he lets Christian Slater know that he does sleep in a coffin and he can't see the sun he does drink blood but crucifixes garlic all that stuff is fine right so back at back in the past we see some tension because lestat loves killing louis doesn't love killing mm-hmm. lestat pulls out this little like blood thimble a lot yeah he has it on his thumb and it has this little knife on it and he uses it to cut people open yep love that thing yeah and no one ever notices no one ever notices. They yeah. they ki- they kill a woman in the middle of a party and no yeah. one comments okay. on it. Right. And Louis is the kind of Edward Cullen vampire vegetarian mm-hmm. only wants to eat drink animal blood. Right. There's a very funny scene where Tom Cruise's <laughs> Lestat rings a mouse out into a <laughs> cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tom Cruise is very funny in this. He is. He's just and like, he's naturally funny. Yes. Where what where has that gone? Like I, I missed that. I missed right. that. Yeah. Um, and so they they get in some fights about this. This is just like some general tension. Eventually, Louise Housekeeper, who's played by the very young Tandaway Newton, um, she's begging Louis to send Lestat away because the slaves are starting to realize this some weird shit happening in this yeah. house. But Louis flips out. He kills her. A whole dish of crawdads falls to the floor because I guess <laughs> they've got to remind us we're in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> and they make them, they make them all this food, even though they're yes. not eating it. Right. So he, Louis goes all dramatic. He carries her dead body out and says he's the devil. And he frees his slaves um, and then grabs their torch and burns his own house down. Mm -hmm. Drama, drama, drama. Louis is a huge (laughs) drama queen. (laughs) I love him. (laughs) And so Lestat survives. He jumps out the window and survives the fire. Mm -hmm. And Louis is like, there was a hell. No matter where we went, I was in it. 
Oh, oh my God. He's also only been <laughs> doing this for like, I think just like a couple months at this point. It's like, he's up guy. I know. Did you ever watch Angel or, or Buffy? For I that matter, Buffy. I don't think I ever got around to watching Angel. If if you like sad hot people, you might like Angel because Angel mm. is just five years of David Boreanaz doing this shit. Oh, I love that. I might have to. Yeah, watch that. He actually he gets some reason for living and like around season four and stops being oh. so much of a sad sack. Okay. Um, and so those those are the seasons I like. Yeah, I'll, I'll click it but, off at that point. Yeah, it will be the opposite. You can watch one through three and I'll just watch four and five. So they, I mean, this goes on for a while. They go back and forth where Lissat's like, let's kill people. And Louis's like, no. <laughs> so the plague is happening yep. and people are dying. So while Louis is out hunting rats, he finds Claudia, played by Kirsten yes. Dunst. She is with her dead mother who has died Oof. of the plague. Yeah. Very grim scene. Yeah. Yeah. She's, you know, kind of talking to her mother's corpse and not sure what's going on. Yeah. So Louis does bite her to Mm -hmm. drink her blood, kind of like maybe a mercy killing type thing. Maybe he wants to put this child out of her misery. Yeah. But Lestat has been following him Mm -hmm. and is very thrilled to see that he's eating someone. Another very funny Tom Cruise scene where he dances with the mother's corpse. Yes. <laughs> he waltzes around the room with this yes. dead body. Oh, it's so good. It's like, uh, it reminds me of um, Psycho. <laughs> yes, it does. It looks like yeah. they're almost using the same withered, uh, yes. like, like dummy. <laughs> yeah. Because like, it's clearly a dummy that he's swinging around the room yeah. too, which makes it even funnier. So Louis runs away because he's always running away crying. And <laughs> Lestat ends up bringing Claudia back and she's on the verge of death. And Lestat decides to turn her into a vampire. So we see this again. There's this cool camera effect as Kirsten Dunst goes from being like a grimy little urchin to (laughs) this like little blonde Annie with curly curly hair and her first line is I want some more because she's just drank his blood yeah um, which is very good and so then they feed the nanny to her which is wild Um, but basically at this point we've realized that they're like this fighting gay couple Yep. And Lestat has decided that he can keep Louis if they have a baby together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that has always worked. It always works. So from there we get like, it's, it is, I do agree with Ebert's, I I don't call it a criticism. I like that this is a character study, but there is no plot. It's just like a series of scenes. Right. So we get a bunch of scenes of Lestat teaching Claudia how to be a lady or how to kill people mm-hmm. and she so claudia's conflict begins when she sees this naked woman bathing right and we realize that they've been this montage has lasted for 30 years <laughs> and claudia has been a child for 30 years and she's sick of being treated like a child and a doll and a plaything. yes so that becomes her character crux she has this epic freak out 
Oh, love it. Kirsten Dunst is so good in this role. Mm-hmm. And she cuts her hair. This is what you said earlier. She cuts her yeah. hair and her hair grows back. And she's screaming. She's waving the scissors around. Who did this to me? Yep. She's just like pure feral energy. It's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So she concocts this plan to kill the stat. Mm-hmm. So she brings him two twin boys to feed on because he likes feeding on young boys. Mm-hmm. And he does not know that they're dead. So she's poisoned them with laudanum, which keeps yep. the blood warm. And that's something we learned earlier. If you drink dead blood, it weakens you right. as a vampire. So he gets very weak. She cuts open his throat. Yeah. And he just bleeds out this co- these copious amount of blood. Oh, so much. Yeah. This is the scene I probably remember the most from this movie. Really? Yeah, because I just, I don't know why, but I always remember the puddle. The puddle starts to approach her and her uh-huh. little shoes. And she says, she says to Louie, lift me up. And he picks her up and puts yes. her on the table. Yep. I don't know why that's that stuck with me since like the first time I saw this movie. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's really good. There's a really good effect where he shrivels up. Tom Cruise yeah. is shrivels up. It's like a California and... raisin. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he is. Um, there's a lot of really good practical effects in this movie. There is. Yeah. They did a great job. It was the Stan Winston creature company that did Alien and Predator and all that oh, stuff. So Okay. They put the money in a good place for this. Yeah. There's lots of juicy, bloody. Yes. Bloodiness. Yes. (laughs) Like you always, you see the wound, you always see wounds being opened and bleeding out. And like that stuff that in horror movies today is done with CG and pisses me off. It's like, you can't, can't you please just stab someone? Please Please stab someone on camera. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I want to say. Yeah. Did, did you see Pearl, the Mia Goth Pearl? I haven't seen it yet. Well, no, I won't spoil anything, but there is a very good dismembering scene in that <gasps> really? movie. Really? Oh, how where they cl- They invested some some of their uh, budget into a very good model to cut up. So awesome! I love that. I appreciated that. So, they they think they dump Lisette's body in a swamp. Yeah. And immediately, Louis sad about this. He's sad yeah. that they did this. It's like, dude, <laughs> like, you hate being with him. You hate not being with him. It's a complicated <sighs> relationship. I, I guess. I just want him to <laughs> co- make a decision and commit to it. So he's whining about that, but he doesn't have to be sad long because Lestat returns from the dead. There's a jump scare where he just yes. pops out of nowhere. And I, it did scare me. Yeah. And he's all rotten and like playing yeah, the banana. Off the <laughs> Mm-hmm. Looks awful. He, really disgusting. Mm-hmm. Great makeup. And Louie, who's a bit of a firebug, as we've learned, a bit of an arsonist, mm-hmm. uh, sets him on fire with a lantern. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and there's the great scene where he like crawls up the wall and onto the ceiling on fire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just love that. It's like when you have a fire, like a leaf or something catches fire and flies up into the air. Like it's so light or something. It's just like being lifted and burned away. That's a good way to put it. So Louis and Claudia decide to escape to Europe 
Mm-hmm. Incidentally, they seem to have burned down like half of New Orleans, like as this house is on fire and they're on the ship. The, the fire is just spreading throughout the whole city. Right. Yeah. I don't know if there was like a real fire in New Orleans around this time. Like, were they trying to make some sort of connection? But I was like, a lot of chaos for someone who I doesn't that like too. killing people. Like, you probably just killed a ton of people. Yes. Yes, I, that's yes. Just to kill this one guy, you have either killed or put like fifty thousand people out of their homes, where they will eventually probably die of the plague. Yeah. So the plague is happening. Everybody's got to run out and like. Oh, I guess it's right. been thirty years. There's no plague anymore, but oh, still, yeah. right? No, no one's healthy in the you know this time no. period. No. So Claudia is really desperate to find other vampires. So mm-hmm. she has been doing some research. So they go to. Europe. Are they Paris? I think so. I I didn't. I just, I, I always just wrote Europe in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just one monolithic place, yeah. Europe. Just Europe. So they're in Europe, wherever they are. And they kind of reinvent themselves. Claudia gets to be reinvented as a little lady. She gets mm-hmm. to be treated a little more maturely. And a vampire does eventually find Louis, though. Yes. So this weird little vampire meets him in an alleyway. Yep. He's played by Stephen Ray, who was in The Crying Game, Neil Jordan's mm. previous movie. And he does this little, like, Jamiroquai dance up the wall. <laughs> 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 like, it's just like that virtual insanity video. Yes, it is. <laughs> hmm Oh, yeah. And he dances and floats. He's this little vampire clown that's kind of annoying. Yeah. And if, if they ever oh, named see, I have, him, I did not get his name. What were you going to say? Um, I w- Well, I was going to say, I had like a, you know, an opposite reaction of you. Like, I love that he's a little vampire clown. He's a little vampire mime. Like, could you imagine, like, you're you're burdened with this great strength and, like, internal life. And you're just like, I'm just going to do a silly little dance. Like, how fun. You've changed my mind. You're yeah. right. I am very hypocritical to hate Louis for being a sad sack and to hate this guy for having fun. <laughs> He's just having a good little time. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Maybe I was just in Louis because Louis doesn't is not impressed. No, he gets like mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I was empathizing with Louis for once in this scene. Um, so they're stopped by armband Armand. Mm-hmm who is played by Antonio Banderas. uh, And he invites them to go to the theater of the vampire. Mm -hmm. And I would vote this as the iconic scene of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would, even though I don't remember (laughs) or I didn't remember it. This was another one that I remembered because I think when I was a kid and way too young to be watching this movie, Mm -hmm. it was one of the first instances of like full frontal nudity that I had seen in a movie. And it's very upsetting and disturbing and striking in the way that it happens. So they watch this play and the play is kind of a comedy at first. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing is comedic because you're having people who in the movie are, are vampires and they're pretending to be humans. Yeah. So, but the but the pretending to be vampires. There's this yes. like layer yeah. to it. And some people in the audience want to be vampires. They want to participate. Yeah. They're like the contemporary goths of the day. Bite me, <laughs> yeah. Dark Lord. 
And then, it, but it's very cruel. The play itself is very cruel. Yes. And it takes this turn where they bring this woman out on stage and they they strip her in front of everyone and talk about basically how they're going to kill her yeah. and maybe turn her into a vampire and she won't feel pain. Um, and she's very scared. And the audience even starts to be like, "Ooh, we don't yeah. we don't know about this. But obviously it doesn't affect their word of mouth because we see this happen again the very next night. Like, Oh, yeah. People, <laughs> like, people, people come back anyway. Um, yeah. Like if this happened with like Leah Michelle and Funny Girl, like I <laughs> <laughs> like if someone started killing someone on stage and everyone, the yeah. audience just kind of left. Honestly, they probably would just come back the next night. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. if Leah Michelle was slaughtering people on stage. Right. Yeah. Nothing is amiss. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't put it past her either to do that, no. start killing people mm-hmm. on stage. We're watching um, you, Leah Michelle. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so they, uh, Armand appears on stage and like kind of comforts this woman, but then they kill her anyway. Yes. And then the play is over and the audience all just, they leave, but they're all kind of shell shook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Staggering out of the theater. So Armand invites them underground where mm-hmm. the vampires live in these catacombs. Mm-hmm. He has this little, like, Timmy Chalamet looking boy <laughs> that, that they all feed on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really, it's really disturbing, but it's this little boy that just has all these holes in him. Yeah. And Armand says that he's 400 years old and he's the oldest vampire. Mm-hmm. I think in the Anne Rice lore, you eventually find out like even where he came from, but yeah. for a long time, he's the oldest vampire. I feel like 400 doesn't even feel that old. Right? I don't know. Am I just, am I, because I, uh... we're in like the eight, mid 1800s at this point, I think. Right. And so, yeah, you're thinking like 1450. I would think we're got to go at least back to like Chaucer time and have a vampire. Right. Yeah. I feel like uh, Carlisle from Twilight was older than that. Oh, okay. I could be wrong. I don't, I'm not there up was to also my like a, lore. Boy, I, I used to be, but yeah, I'm a little <laughs> rusty. And there was like a primitive, like, cave woman vampire on Buffy, I think. They went way back. Mm, oh, that's so fun. <laughs> yeah. So Armand is a little attracted to Louis. Mm-hmm. He tells him, you feel too much, so much you make me feel. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God, the goth vibes of this. Like, so oh, hot. the pain. I'm numb, but you make me feel. That sounds like a like a like something I would hear on, you know, Tinder or something. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would post so, about how I'm like. I take antidepressants and I would get that message. (laughs) (laughs) Would the guy have black eyeliner on is what I want to know. Yeah. Or at least like a, like a throwback to when they had black eyeliner on. Right. Now they have like a half work sleeve. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a studded wristband still hanging on to that. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Definitely. So we learned a little bit more about vampire politics i guess because mm. they talk about how killing your own kind means death yes and immediately claudia's like huh? oh, yeah. <laughs> you can see your little blonde girl stand up <laughs> 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 so, and then things this movie's kind of long yeah. but they've spent so much time just meandering that <laughs> now that we finally have a plot things escalate yeah. so fast 
Yeah. I feel what, like what from I, this point on, it's only like 20 minutes left or something. And so much happens. And so much happens that I thought when I first started watching this, I would have thought happened around maybe the hour mark or the hour yeah. and a half mark. Because th- there's coming up is another scene that is very seared into my brain. Mm-hmm. So that Claudia wants a companion. So Louis turns this woman she found who lost her own daughter into a vampire companion for Claudia. Mm-hmm. And he says, what has died is the last breath of me that was human. Oh, <gasps> uh, so dude. Because <laughs> he's tired his own vampire and he's all depressed. And <laughs> I would have thought they would have explored this a bit. But they don't. The French no. vampires just burst down the door and drag them back to the mausoleum. Yep. They like Edgar Allan Poe, Louis into a wall. They brick him yep. up inside a wall and they put Claudia and Madeline in a room with a skylight. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a death sentence. They're waiting for the sun to rise. And as the sun rises, you see them start to turn into this pile of ashes. Yeah. And this is the other scene that I always remembered from the first time I watched this. And I yeah. think it's because, again, I saw this when I was way too young to be watching movies. And I think it was the first time I saw a child die in a movie yeah. on screen. I could see <laughs> like, that, yeah. Like, even though she's like 80 years old or whatever, she's still in the body of a, of a child. And to see that happen was very... Um, formative for me that's true and i it was a pretty like you know <laughs> pardon the pun but it was a bit of a slow burn scene <laughs> yes they don't shy away from it no like even though it's like a short scene yeah they they focus on it for a long time it it mm-hmm. it's 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 a lot it's very traumatizing. Louis is traumatized. Yep. Our our armband breaks Louis out of the wall. Mm-hmm. Conveniently after Claudia has been executed, he waits yeah. until morning to do this. So Louis finds Claudia and Madeline still in the shape that they were in, clutching yeah. each other as they died as this yeah. column of ashes. And he touches it and they just disintegrate. Oh, it's such a good effect. Yeah. And then, then we get, a, a, I guess there's a lot of scenes that were seared into my memory, but this was the third one that I remembered. <laughs> I think because it was one of the most violent things I had ever seen in a movie at the time. Mm-hmm. And Louis douses the whole place in fuel, lights it on fire. He picks up a scythe and goes around just decapitating and chopping people in half. Hell yeah. It's so cathartic. And like, it's, it's wild. I mean, there's, there's blood, there's body parts are flying everywhere. Yep. The poor little clown gets, I think he gets his head and his body chopped in half. I think he does yeah. two little swipes and sends him off into three pieces. Womp womp. And so he, Louis kills everyone and leaves. Ar- Armand is still alive and tries trying to like coax Louis out of his sorrow. And he says, we must be powerful, beautiful, and without regret. Hmm. I think that would be a good motto for Tyra Banks. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, or I think, like bring- a good, I think like a good yearbook quote. <laughs> oh, yes. That'd be another good one. Yeah. So they almost kiss. Mm. Oh, yeah. Which is very exciting for 1994. <laughs> And, but of course, Louis knows that Armand also 
conveniently waited until Claudia was dead. Yep. So he goes back to America without him because he's also determined just to never be happy. Like, <laughs> I mean, you get to be with Antonio Banderas forever. Like, you make that choice no matter what he did. Right. Yeah. That's Puss in Boots you're turning down. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so Louis goes to America and then we get this like huge, I mean, now it's like modern times cause he's watching yeah. movies. He's going to the movie theater and we see him watch Nosferatu and gone with mm-hmm. the wind and all the way up to Superman with Christopher Reeve. And he finds Lestat still like all withered up in new Orleans. Yeah. And then that's kind of it. We, we get back to the interview with him and his, uh, little little male boy toy, Christian Slater, yeah. who, after hearing all of this, wants to be a vampire. Like, dude. I know, right? Especially coming from Louis, the most miserable, like, godforsaken vampire. I can understand if maybe he heard, like, Lestat's point of view. He'd be like, hell yeah, like, party, you know, hot boy, ringing mice out for blood. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, so- Sucking blood out of boobs and boobs and boys. You get Sign it all. Sign me up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But no, he's hearing it from, you know, I'm so sad. Can't, can barely get out of my coffin in the evening. Louis. Uh, saddest vampire for like three centuries running. <laughs> like, like, oh my God. He's, he was sad in the 1700s. He was sad in the 1800s. He's sad in the 1900s. Like, dude. <laughs> Uh, so obviously Louis denies him and then we get this pretty sure this is just for the movie and because they wanted to have Tom Cruise come back because (laughs) I do not think this is in the book at all but Christian Slater gets in the car and puts in the tapes that the cassette tapes that he's made yep and Tom Cruise as a set pops out of the back seat boom and he makes fun of Louis whining still which I (laughs) fully endorse (laughs) (laughs) and i forget what he i don't think he does anything to christian slater christian slater's just kind of like in shock in the back i can't remember if he bites him into a vampire he at least bites him and then leaves him there for a bit um because then he drives off um he turns on the radio and there's a sympathy for the devil cover by guns and roses (laughs) and that sends us into the credits so fun (laughs) great 90s way of ending this movie honestly so anything you think we missed for our our epic uh summary here uh no i don't think so like you said it's not a whole lot of plot points it's very uh just louis being sad (laughs) he's sad i mean the characters are at least well defined he's very sad yeah lestat is fun he's fun claudia is frustrated Yes. So we Lestat's get we get a variety dad. of he's the fun dad. He is the fun dad. He's the fun dad. And I get yes. I get why Louis is so sad because sometimes it's hard to be not the fun one in a relationship. That's I true. I get that. I get that. But then but Claudia still ends up killing the fun dad. That's true. There's lots of bad choices in this <laughs> in this in this movie. But okay, we'll take a short break. And then we'll return with our gothic roundup. All right, we ghosties, we're back with our gothic roundup. 
all gothic films have four features, a girl, a guy, a haunt, and a house. So our girl, and as we've talked about multiple times, our girl does not have to be uh, identify as female. Our mm-hmm. girl, or, but but it could have been Cher. It could have been a girl. Oh, wish. <laughs> so our girl is Louie. Yes. Um, one thing I, I found interesting about this, so I wanted to, I did a, a very little bit of digging. It, mm. Like I wouldn't have gotten deep enough to actually exhume a corpse, but just a little digging to goth culture of the 90s. And there's a, a academic book called Goth Undead Subculture that gets Ooh. referenced a lot. <laughs> and <laughs> the whole book was available on EBSCO, but I didn't have that kind of time. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I did find a review of that book in another academic journal. And it says something very relevant, I think, to what we've been talking about, especially with this American Gothic and how the what was the girl in British Gothic has become the guy and then where that goes into the 90s. So um, they say in this book that well, th- there's different sections of the book and one of them is on gender. And they say that goths performativity, because it's all about dressing and identifying and signaling to others, hey, I'm goth. Like yes. there's nothing quiet <laughs> about being goth. Um, but goth's por- performativity intertwines with ambivalence of gender. So mm. resistance is a governing feature of goth. And so one way to do this is to explore the ambivalence of gender. So much so that one domineering tendency is to cater to the male experience of pain. Interesting. And that explains why Louis is so fucking sad (laughs) for 300 years. He's just being a little goth girly. He's a little goth girl, goth boy, boy with an I, B-O-I. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. My dog, if you hear anything weird, it's my dog's making weird groaning noises down here. She she is also a little goth. (laughs) She loves the goth boys. She does. That's okay. We've all been there. I loved the goth boys when I was in high school. Big fan. Except all the goth boys in my high school either were not willing to (laughs) be bisexual or what, because nothing ever happened as much as I wanted it to. I think by the time um, I was in high school, goth became like more about like the trip pants and the, mm, you know, like hardcore music. And it just wasn't as appealing. Yeah, we had, I, cause I was not, I wasn't really anything, but I hung out with a lot of the goth kids. Mm. And so they would have the dark, the dyed, dyed hair, either black yep. or red, um, lots of piercings. Chokers were a big thing for the girls. Yep. Chokers yep. or like the, again, the wrist studded wrist bracelets or even a dog collar for the guys, yeah. all very stereotypical goth stuff that I <laughs> yeah. loved. Yeah. So they also talked about how in this book, Goth Undead Subculture, that a desire for androgyny motivates male characters to explore their own physical pain and the emotional pain of the loss of loved ones. Hmm. And that that's been one of the main characteristics of Gothic narratives since the 18th century. So, but the men are engaging with it more. That's, you know, the goth boys, you know, they they look dangerous, but they're sensitive. They're they're spiky, but they have a chewy center. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Mm. So that's definitely Louie, I think, to a T. Yeah. Anything you want to add about Louie as our girl? Um, not really. You know my feelings about Louie. I love him. Yeah. You Sad love him. All the time. Sad all the time. <laughs> Sad forever. <laughs> That'd be a vanity plate. Sad for EVA. Oh my God. If if vampires could get tattoos, he would just have sad forever on his knuckles. <gasps> oh yeah, it'd probably just fade away, right? Yeah. Probably I don't yeah. Uh, we'll have to test it out. We'll have to test it out. We'll find a vampire and tattoo him. Yeah. So our guy is obviously Lestat. He's the mm-hmm. gateway into this other world. He's yep. alluring and dangerous and problematic. Yes. So he also fits this this role to a T. Mm-hmm. Um, our haunt. So we don't really have a key. Oh, sorry. I, I, I meant house. Our house. Yes. We don't really have a key house for yeah, this. Yeah, right. I mean, I think there's a couple of different settings. Like you have the New Orleans, which is, you know, it makes a good setting for the story. And then you have the... <laughs> ambiguous european theater (laughs) again makes a good setting for the story but you're right yeah there isn't really a a house yeah the house they could do this anywhere i think and it wouldn't really change change the story too much but our haunt is vampirism yeah vampires we haven't had a vampire movie i don't think no i don't believe so so there, the Wikipedia article for goth subculture mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, re- references this book, the Goth Undead subculture book. Uh-huh. And it says a prominent American literary influence on the gothic scene was provided by Anne Rice's reimagining of the vampire in 1976. In the Vampire Chronicles, Rice's characters were depicted as self-tormentors who struggled with alienation, loneliness, and the human condition. Not only did the characters torment themselves, but they also depicted a surreal world that focused on uncovering its splendor. Their romance, beauty, and erotic appeal attracted many goth readers. So while goth embraced vampire literature in 19th, 19th century vampire literature, it was mm-hmm. Rice's postmodern take that had a special resonance in the subculture. Her vampires are socially alienated monsters, but they are also stunningly attractive. And many goth readers tend to envision themselves in much <laughs> the same terms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that little bit of shade there at the end. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. Yeah, you're alienated, but like you're hot. Like you have no not that like, I mean, everybody goes through their own thing, but whatever you're going through is not enough to be as like in pain (laughs) as you actually are. (laughs) It is performative. This performative pain, I feel like, is so key. Yes. To the goth subculture. Like if you were actually that depressed, you would not have the time or the energy to get your eyeliner so flawless. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like I, you know, when I'm depressed, it's, it's a shit show on my face. It's not <laughs> Susie, Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> yeah, yes. They mentioned Susie and the Banshees in this book as well by name. Yes. As <laughs> an influence sense. on goth culture. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like, I can't even shave. So like, I, there's no way I'd be able to also coordinate some leather and chrome accessories. Right. I can barely get dressed. Yeah. I feel like this would open up like a can of worms to talk about, but I feel like sometimes like with especially like the goth culture, there's sort of a difference though, between like being depressed and just being like a sad person. Like Mm. I could see Louie as being just like a sad sack. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then, you know, is that different from depression perhaps? Right. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I mean, I'm definitely making some broad generalizations here, but all the goth kids I knew in high school anyway, (laughs) had mostly normal home lives. Yeah. You know, they, they were, they were well supported. They had the money to buy the clothes and the accessories and the hair dye. They had the time to do it because they did not have to have jobs to support their families. Like there was a lot of leisure time involved, at least for for this segment of goth kids. Right. So the, the struggle was all in the performance. Right. And I mean, it's kind of the same conversation with um, people who talk about punk, like the punk scene, how now it's become so much of more like a uniform. You know, you have to act a certain way to be punk. You have to conform to these set rules to be punk. So it's kind of the similar thing with, you know, goth now. It's like, maybe I want to be, well, Okay, again, I feel like this is opening up a can of worms. I will say, I think that there are more subsections to goth now, at least in today's age. You have a lot more mm-hmm. bright, flamboyant goths. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be like, Lestat would be one of those now. I think about, um, I used to be really into Poppy. Mm. The, and who she's done some like metal where she's had piercings in her face yeah. and she's done heavy metal music. But when she started, she was this kind of bubblegum goth yeah, where like, she would talk about death, but in a cute pink outfit with blonde hair. Yeah. It was like the, the happy cult, uh, happy, happy bunny. Um, do you remember happy bunny? Vaguely. Yeah. It was like, that was a turning point. I feel like in our culture. Where goth became cute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, Kawaii. That's like there's yes. a Japanese influence almost. Right. So, you know, goth was, and I think it was originally heavily influenced by, by the British punk scene because mm. you do have a lot of the same outfits, the piercings, the black spiky hair. And then, yeah, then the right. Japanese kind of came into it with yep. the cuteness. There's a lot of influences on it as we've yeah. become more global. Yes. Um, but yeah, I would say Louis does fit into this. Like, dude is rich. He's hot. Yeah. He can do anything he wants except go out in the daytime. Yeah. And he's still bitching about it. <laughs> it drives me crazy. Yeah. Uh, he's a little so, cranky. Just a little bit. Anything you want to add to our gothic roundup? Uh, there's a banana. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yep. Bonus Gothic. We have Pananos. We see Lasat play Panano. Yep. We see Claudia play Panano. Yep. Did you ever watch the Vicar of Tipley? <laughs> no. It was a BBC show with uh, Dawn French. Okay. And she played a female vicar in this small town. And there's mm-hmm. lots of uh, weird British guys, many of whom I thought were in Sleepy Hollow, but were not. 
<laughs> but but I guess my brain was on Vicar of Dibley Watch because Claudia's piano teacher, who's in one scene and I don't think even has a line, uh-huh. is Owen from Vicar of Dibley. So oh my gosh, <laughs> I was I was like, why is he in this movie? So <laughs> that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, we do have our, our Panano and there mm-hmm. is, I think a bonus Gothic category could also be homoeroticism. Mm, yeah. That'd be a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. Throw that in. Cause if it were the British Gothic, sometimes there is a, a lesbian overtone cause we have more yeah. female characters. And so if this was Cher and well, they didn't want to also cast Lestat as a woman, but honestly, Cher would be a good Lestat. She would be. She would, oh my God, just cast Sunny and Cher. <laughs> Sunny Bono. Just oh, Sunny I Bono. loved Sunny Bono. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they would have been great. They would have been yeah. great. Put your little hand in mine. I got you, babe. Yes. Um, but yeah, so so the homoeroticism, I think, is adds to the gothic element. And fits with goth too. The goth is all about you know, pushing against things, being bisexual or gay yep. or pretending yep. to be. Yeah. So. Ambiguous. So yeah. yeah. So with all that in mind, what do you think? Is this gothic? I would say it's it's goth-ish. Um, minorly goth-ish, in my opinion. I'm interested to know what you said. I, I think the lack of one concise setting um kind of hurts it for me I guess but uh, I'm interested to know what you think yeah I agree I think it's goth it's Mm -hmm. so goth yes yeah and then it is but in our our themes of gothic even Mm -hmm. when we talk about American gothic yeah where the location isn't as important but a big part of the location of American Gothic is this theme of the unknown Yes, in the wilderness or in the outside. We don't really get that. Like we get a little bit of, are there other vampires? But the transition to Europe changes that. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a little bit too, it's too, obviously the movie isn't bright, but that's just like what the, the it's too sharp of a movie i think to be gothic mm-hmm. does that make sense like it's just too it's, sharp it's styled yes um, there's a there's a stylishness to it that mm-hmm. keeps it from gothic i feel is almost more earthy a lot of times mm. yes um and i don't know if it's because again we're dealing with affluent people a lot of times our goth gothic heroines are, are not like yeah. jane eyre was poor um right. Well, a lot of them are not this type of social status. And I wonder if yeah. that affects the gothicness of it. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Or if I'm just preoccupied with that when talking about the spo- <laughs> spoiled goth kids from my high school. <laughs> You're just so mad at Louie. You're just really, really projecting on him. I know. Sorry, Louie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But yeah, I think we'll agree. I, I, as far as the our, our themes of gothic go, this is goth-ish, solid mm. goth-ish. Yeah. If they had stayed in like some, if they'd stayed in that, cool, I hate to say cool plantation house, yeah. but the house itself is kind of <laughs> nice. If they had done more with that house, right, then we would have had a stronger case for goth or like gothic. something like more on the bayou, 
like you know mm. they have like the little scene of them throwing you know Lestat in there and the alligators coming I love that I want more of that yeah give me more Bayou. that's true yeah. That's true. We don't, they tell us it's New Orleans and they, you know, they tell right. us it's Europe, but it could really just be anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to add then? I think I've said my piece on this one. Excellent. Well, me as well. So thank you, we ghosties, for listening to us break down interview with the vampire and just the entirety of Anne Rice's personality and career. (laughs) Um, Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can drop us an email at sogothicpod at gmail.com with your comments on gothic, American gothic, goths, whatever you want, even (laughs) suggestions for future films. And follow us on Instagram at sogothicpod And we'll drop some hints as to what we are celebrating next. All right, that does it. Stay ghosty, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.